Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Why don't we begin in the, in the sign of the cross, and that way you can learn a little bit right off the bat, a little bit about your Eastern Catholic brothers and sisters who are who are different from you, though we share a common faith. We make the sign of the cross a little bit different than you are used to. We put our two fingers down on our, on our palm, if you will, our small finger and our whatever ring finger there. Okay? And we put the other three fingers together. You see that? Okay? What do you think? Why do we put three fingers together, do you think? The Trinity. The Trinity and the two down? For the two natures of Christ, right? God and man. Okay? Then we make the sign of the cross to our forehead. Okay? A little bit further down to the belly button, and this is the hardest part, to your right shoulder, right shoulder, and then to the left shoulder. Okay? It feels a little... Try that again. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It feels a little bit strange. And always during the Pascha season or during Easter, we greet each other with the Easter green, Christ is risen. And you say, indeed, He is risen. So I say, Christ is risen? Indeed, He is risen. Okay, very good. Always, always, whenever you call somebody on the phone, whenever you see somebody on the street, you greet them, Christ is risen, indeed, He is risen. I just came back from Jerusalem last Tuesday, and, and of course, over there, as we're going to talk about, Roman Catholics are not the majority. The majority are guys like myself. And you walk down the street and you say, Christ is risen, and everybody responds, indeed, he is risen. Or you can say it in Greek or Arabic, or depending on what the person speaks, okay? So, I want to spend a little bit of time speaking with you today about the Eastern churches. I was invited here to do just that. And you probably, some of you at least, probably say to yourself, I have no idea what you mean by Eastern churches versus Roman Catholic. Um, and I want to be able to hopefully give you just a little a general introduction. For those that already know, then this might be a little bit under your, your level. But um, at least then we're all on the same page. As you know, Pope Francis, in a couple of days, is journeying to the Holy Land. He's going to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land for one purpose. Now, the news is not going to tell you this. The news is going to tell you that he's going there to have ecumenical discussions with the, with the Israelis. Okay, or the Muslims, and so forth. No. The primary purpose of his visit is to meet one man. Okay, his name is Patriarch Bartholomew. He is the head of the Greek Orthodox Church in Constantinople. Okay, and uh, besides Pope Francis, the two of those guys, you could say, are the most important leaders of Christianity in the world. And unfortunately, they're like two brothers that got an argument a long time ago and haven't been talking to each other lately. And they're going to come together and they're going to talk. Okay? And hopefully be able to sit down even at the Thanksgiving dinner table together. Okay? To offer the Holy Eucharist together. So that our two churches, and we're going to talk about what I mean by one church versus two churches, can be joined together and, and have, a, have a, a relationship as a family should have a relationship. 
Okay? So, um, I'll, I'll begin with a quotation from Pope John Paul II, who says, Since, in fact, we believe that the venerable and ancient tradition of the Eastern churches is an integral part of our own heritage, the heritage of Christ's church, the first need for Catholics, and here he's speaking to Roman Catholics, is to become familiar with that tradition, with the Eastern tradition. Familiarity is not like, you know, Deacon Sabatino came up here and spoke for 20 minutes. Familiarity is knowing each other, being part of a family together. And so it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to begin to reflect as the Pope encourages us to say, well, what have we been doing that we're not a family anymore? And how do we get back to that point where we can, again, be comfortable around each other? In fact, we have Holy Transfiguration right down the road, my parish. Some of you have been there for the food festival, haven't you? But have you come for other things? Have you come for feast days and participated in the liturgical life of the church? That breeds familiarity. Okay, yes, food is the first introduction, but of course we go from common food to, to uh, spiritual foods, to be able to share in common our spiritual life. And so I want to encourage you in that way also that you have an opportunity right down the road to experience part of the church which you may not know exists, or if you know it exists, you may not know very much about it. It's like a long-lost brother that finally you find out, hey, we've got more siblings in our family. Wouldn't you go right now and run to them and go and sit down and talk with them and learn about their life? Okay, and that's what we need to do as Christians to be able to get to know each other better. I'm going to speak with you about a couple of things which probably are a little bit of growing pains. Okay, as we come to know things, you say, oh, I didn't know it was that way. That's not how I thought it was. I want you to bear with me. And I, because I don't have a lot of time, I need your confidence. Okay, then I'm not going to be quoting myself to death from church documents. I have them all here, by the way, but I just don't have time in the short amount of time given. So I'm going to be talking with you, and I ask for your confidence that, that I'm giving you the authentic teaching of the church. Okay, and not just my church, which looks different, okay, but the teachings coming from Rome itself. Um, and the first thing I want you to realize is that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. We can be united and not be exactly the same. Okay, in fact, this is the case in the church of Jesus Christ. Okay, and the other thing is that the, the term Catholic is not synonymous with Roman Catholic. In other words, there are Catholics in the world, such as myself. I am not a Roman Catholic. And yet, I am very much a Catholic. Just as much a Catholic as you are. Okay, part of the Catholic communion, but I am not Roman. Because if you go, if you go east of Rome, you find a whole different expression of Christianity. As I'll say to you again and again today, don't expect to go to Tijuana and eat pizza. <laughs> or China and eat McDonald's. God forbid. Okay, and don't expect to go to the, to the Holy Land or to Greece and find Roman Catholicism. Okay? Now, why do you find Roman Catholicism in America? It's because America was evangelized through Spain, and Spain was evangelized through Rome. But if you go to the other side of Rome, you're going to find a whole different expression of Christianity. Just as Catholic. Just as apostolic. Okay? The fullness of the faith, but expressed differently. And if I can just be practical, look, my cassock looks different. My hat looks different. You guys remember in the old days, the priests used to wear that hat with the things on top, okay? Okay, this is our hat. It's a little bit different. 
So the expression is different. I also want to, while we're together, I want to vest in my, in my robes so you can see a little bit about that. And so it's not just me up here talking to you, but you can actually see that things are indeed a little bit different and yet very much the same. Okay? And I'll see if I can manage all of these things together. In the Gospel of Matthew, you know these texts well, and I'll just mention them, that Christ's final words to his apostles, Go therefore to all nations. Imagine what that would have been to the apostles burning in their heart. These were Christ's final words. And on the day of Pentecost, of course, when the, Holy, the fire of the Holy Spirit came down upon them, 3,000 people were baptized at their hands in one day from all nations. They were all coming to, the, to Jerusalem for the feast. Of course, Pentecost was a Jewish feast before it was a Christian feast. And so there were people coming from all over the world to Jerusalem. 3,000, how those words go forth and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them all things I have commanded you. And that's exactly what they did. The apostles went out to all, all parts of the known world at the time. They went from Jerusalem, they went north into Syria, eventually into Asia Minor and into Italy, Rome, down south through Alexandria, and eventually across the Iberian Peninsula into Spain. They went everywhere. Of, in the known world. Because those are the words that Christ commanded them. And there, they established churches. And this is part of the amazing thing. That though they didn't have a telephone, they didn't have internet and so forth, those churches, though different, held a common apostolic faith. Their belief, their fundamental faith was the same, but the expression of that faith was different. Now let me ask you a question. If you thought you had the most important thing in the world to tell people, where would you go to spread your word, your message? Where would you go? This is my son, by the way. I'm a married deacon. This is my son, Luciano. Thank you, Luciano. Where would you go? I live in Front Royal. Would you go to Front Royal? Would you go to Oakton? No. Where would you go? You go to D.C. Where else would you go? New York, yeah? Los Angeles, yeah, just don't be Americans on me. You go to Paris, right? You go to Rome, you, you go to all the great cities of the world, right? The known cities of the world. And that's exactly what they did. All right. Um, they, that's exactly what they did. They went to the ancient cities of the world. They went north from Jerusalem to Antioch in Syria, down to Alexandria in Egypt. Can you guys see this map okay? Okay. They came across and eventually made it to Rome. Okay, the church was established in the ancient city of Byzantium, which became known as Constantinople. All the major cities of the world, and there the apostles appointed bishops, head bishops, which could look over that area of the church. Okay, and they established what is known, maybe a little bit oversimplified, but what is known are the ancient apostolic sees or patriarchal sees, the patriarchal see of Jerusalem. The Patriarchal See of Alexandria, the Patriarchal See of Antioch, of Rome, and yes, Constantinople. Constantinople is where uh, Patriarch Bartholomew comes from, who was going to go journey to, um, to Jerusalem to meet Pope Francis. Okay, so when you're watching this on the internet, or on the, on the news, I should say, um, you'll know that where these guys are coming from. He is the descendant of the apostles who established the church in Constantinople. Okay? Patriarch Bartholomew. 
What is a patriarch? Okay, as I said, these are called, these, it's a theological term that I want you to hold on to. A patriarchate. These five ancient patriarchates. Okay? What is a patriarchate? Take the word apart. What does it mean, friends? Father, very good. Look at that. Isn't this, these things are cool, right? Okay, and then what? What kind of a father? Yeah, or a father who's over other fathers, right? Like an archbishop, a bishop who's over other bishops, right? A patriarch. In each one of these, in each one of these cities then was established a patriarch, a father who was over the other fathers. Okay? And they were all in communion with each other. And around these patriarchs, around these fathers grew up a tradition, a family within the Catholic family. Okay? A family which had its own way of life, which was common with the other members of the family, and yet different. Just like pizza is different than a burrito, right? So the way they celebrated the liturgy, the way they vested in their vestments. You notice this vestment's not all that different than your deacon vestment, is it? Fundamentally, it's the same, but a little bit different, huh? A little bit different. If you're a deacon, okay, sometimes the deacons today in the West don't wear their vestments. Sometimes they just wear a white alb, right? But if you look at their traditional vestment that they're supposed to wear, then it looks a lot like this, okay? It's just... Okay, we put things on a little bit differently. Maybe we've got a few different things that they don't have, okay, and things like that. But the fundamentals are the same, but the expression. So around Rome grew up the Roman way of life in Christianity. Never allow the modern media to convince you that the church suppresses people. That's absolutely nonsense, and it's contrary to church teaching. The church comes into a people and brings them, raises them up so that their way of life is brought back to God. God gave them their life. The apostles said, bring that life and give it back to God. Right? Maria, right? Maria, when you go, when you go home, it's not, mass is not exactly the way it is here, right? The way the, the music is a little different, the, the, even the clothing is a little bit different, okay? The church takes a culture and raises it up to God. And so around each one of these patriarchal seas formed a liturgical tradition, a spiritual tradition, a theological tradition, a way of looking at the faith which was fundamentally the same and yet different. When you go to your brother or sister's house for Thanksgiving, they don't make Thanksgiving dinner the way you do, do they? In fact, you might think it doesn't even taste that great. You think your Thanksgiving dinner tastes a whole lot better, right? Yet, it's still recognizable as Thanksgiving dinner. And it's the same. It's the same. Okay? In each one of these places, bishops, uh, the Eucharist, the sacraments, and so forth. Okay? And in these cities, as I said, a patriarch was established. And what does the word patriarch mean? A father who is over other fathers. Exactly. Okay? A father. What's another word for father in English? that we commonly use in the church for a father who is over other fathers? Papa or Pope. The term Pope means father. And, it, and it, we call him Pope because he's the father of the church in Rome, Pope Francis. But do you realize that there are other fathers in the church? 
Now, this is not an an attack against Pope Francis by any means. It's a reality that oftentimes we have a very narrow view of the church, not realizing the church is actually Catholic. It is universal. It is throughout the world. Okay? The church is a communion of churches. A communion of particular churches. The term patriarch, father, pope, they're all the same. Okay? And so, in each one of these cities, there is, even today, a reigning father, a reigning patriarch, a reigning pope. So you're going to say, now, Deacon Sabatini, you're going too far, but I'm going to tell you, there's more than one pope, by, the, by literal use of that word, in the church. All of them, all of them making up the fullness of the body of Christ on earth, the fullness of the church, not just in Rome, but throughout the entire world. Okay? There is a patriarch, oh, I'm forgetting his name, Tawadros, Patriarch Tawadros, okay, in Alexandria. He's the head of the apostolic church in Alexandria, okay? Patriarch Theophilus, or Pope Theophilus. I just saw him last week. He was walking through Jerusalem, he was walking out of the church of the resurrection, the holy sepulcher, after celebrating liturgy. Okay, and he looked at me and I looked at him. It was a great moment. Okay? What'd you say? <laughs> I didn't say anything. I bowed my head. Okay? Okay, Patriarch Gregory, or Pope Gregory. He is the father of my particular church, which comes from Antioch in Syria. Okay? And Patriarch, or Pope Bartholomew, who Pope... Francis is going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to join together and they're going to meet in Jerusalem to talk about the church and their church relations of the particular churches. Please know that we are not talking about the Catholic Church versus groups like Protestant churches. We are talking about the apostolic churches which formed the one church of Jesus Christ in the beginning and for 2,000 years. If my brother and I get in a fight... Um, can we do anything about the fact that we're brothers? No, we're still brothers. They are still brothers, regardless of whether they talk to each other or not, regardless of whether they're in an argument or not, or whether, regardless of their church relations. They are still fathers. Okay? In fact, here's a letter to Pope Tawadros in Alexandria. Pope Francis addressed to Pope Tawadros. Here are the words of Pope Francis. So please, friends, do not think I'm giving you a, you know, nonsense and I'm not telling you the truth. Here you go. Here's Pope Francis's own words in a letter to the head, the patriarch of the church in Alexandria. For me, it is a great joy and a truly a graced moment to be able to receive you here at the tomb of St. Peter. As we recall the historic meeting 40 years ago between our predecessors, Pope Paul VI and the late Pope Shenouda. There you have it. Pope Francis using the term Pope in relation, in regard to the head of another particular church. Okay? Be- why? Because the term just means father. It means father. The father of the church in Alexandria who died recently was Pope Shenouda. Okay? And Pope Tawadros was elected to take his place. Okay? Here you have the meeting between Pope Francis and the patriarch or Pope Bartholomew. They are going to be meeting in Jerusalem, but they met also at the time of the election of Pope Francis 
um, Patriarch Gregorio, or Patriarch um, Bartholomew went there for his installment. Okay, and so you have them embracing there. This next picture I love because it is a great example of uh, uh, of what I'm talking about about the relationship of the churches. When a we oftentimes we oftentimes think of the church as a monarchical structure. There's one head, and then everything else is a pyramid down. It's a bad way of looking at the nature of the church. Okay, There is a family. A family is a better way to look at the nature of the church. And here you have it. Patriarch Bartholomew, or Pope Bartholomew, and Pope Benedict. Notice something about this picture. When the church celebrates liturgy, nothing is by accident. Everything is, is, is for a reason. Notice that their thrones are on the same level. Notice that their thrones are identical. Why? Because they are both fathers of their particular church. Okay? And they are both blessing with the gospel book, side by side. Okay? Unity is not uniformity. Difference is not division. I want to just share with you... How am I doing for time, guys? Well, don't I get thumbs up? I need to know whether I'm, i got five minutes to go or i got 15. Hey, look, I'm doing pretty good. Okay. What do I have? I have is he right I have 15 minutes? Am I okay? All right. I want to read you a quotation from... Um, from uh, I think this is a quotation from John Paul II. Yes. Oh, no, no, this is Vatican II. Okay, an ecumenical council. Listen to this. The patriarchate, the, the, the structure of the church which I'm talking about, the patriarchate as an institution has existed in the church from the earliest times and was recognized by the first ecumenical councils. Okay, so this is not an invention. This is something. This is the, the nature of the church from the very beginning. But unfortunately, we've, especially in the West, lost a sense of this of the church as a family. Okay, a communion. Imagine the apostles coming together. Of course, Peter is the prince of the apostles, but not prince in the sense that he gets up on a throne twenty feet above everybody else and they all prostrate at his feet. No, they're brothers. And he is the prince, the eldest brother of the apostles. And so when they come together, they come together to sit at the family table together to discuss the faith. Okay? Yes, Bill? Just one clarification. Ah, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that. Unity is not uniformity. Difference is not division. I can be different than you, and we can still be brother and sister. Does that make sense? Okay, here's a local church, St. Leo's. Okay, an example of the church as it's built. I'm going to show you a number of differences, which are maybe on the superficial level, but I want you to remember something. That the church is, is, I think the best way to describe it is like mountaintops around a valley. And the churches are standing on the top of the mountaintop, looking down in the valley from a different perspective. Each one of them sees the valley differently, doesn't it? But they're still describing the same reality. Does that make sense? So, within the church, this expression is not only a superficial expression. It's a real expression of difference without division. Even spiritually, even theologically, 
we describe things differently. Okay? Here's a church that I want to set those side by side, okay? Today, at least in the church, a very uh, um, modern look with not a lot of images in the church. And yet in the East still retain complete covering of the church in icons. Okay? There's the dome of the church with the icon of Christ in the middle. Okay, again, completely covered so that no matter where you are in the church, no matter where you look, you see Christ. You're reminded of the faith. Okay? Uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, this, this may be the church... Um, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to go there. I don't know. It's, I, I do believe it's in the Holy Land. I was going to say, I think this is the monastery on Mount Tabor. But now that I'm looking at the back wall, I could be wrong about that. I was just there. So man, compare my pictures. Okay, but isn't that beautiful? Okay, baptism is done differently. Oftentimes in the West, oftentimes, not always, the most common form is a pouring on of water on the head of the person. But in the Eastern Church, among the Eastern Churches, more commonly is baptism by immersion. The child is placed completely underneath the water. Okay, isn't that a beautiful picture? Okay. And some, yes, it, is, it has come back after Vatican II, a lot of times, the practice of full immersion. And there's a theological reason. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas himself says this is a preferable way to baptize. Okay? Okay, immediately after baptism, the child is confirmed, given holy chrism. You say, well, that's strange. I'll go one step further. But right after the child is confirmed, the child receives holy communion from a golden spoon. Okay, And you say, what does a child know about confirmation? Or what does a child know about Holy Communion? And as my pastor oftentimes says, what do you know about the mysteries of God? They are the mysteries of God given to us as a gift, not for our judgment, not for us to tell God what they are and what they do, but for Him to give us the gift and to invite us in. As you know, Jesus said, suffer the little ones to come unto me. And we take those words very seriously in the East, to invite the children to receive the life-giving body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, And they will receive communion then the rest of their life, as long as they are properly prepared. As they get older, they go to holy confession as is, as is appropriate. Okay, There's a little girl receiving communion again. Confession in the West is oftentimes done behind a screen. But in the East, never behind a screen, always before Christ. And here, they are leaning over the Gospel book, which has an image of Jesus Christ on it. We always confess our sins to Christ. This is the stole of the priest laid over the penitent's head. In the West, oftentimes, all the time, unleavened bread is used. Okay, This was not the historic use of the church in the East or the West. Early on, raised bread was used. But by the 6th, 7th centuries, unleavened bread began to be used in the West. But in our tradition, raised bread is still used to signify the risen Christ. Okay, In the priesthood, most priests in the West are celibate. Okay? They're not married. But in our tradition, married men can be ordained to the diaconate, as you have also, and to the holy priesthood, which, by the way, you have also. You've recently been, been ordaining a lot of married guys, the Anglicans coming in. Okay? And as I oftentimes tell people, this tells you something 
about marriage and the priesthood. The sacraments can never conflict with each other. Okay? Why is that? Because the sacraments are the gift of Christ's own life. If the sacraments conflict with each other, then Christ becomes bipolar. And that's not a good place to be. Okay? You don't have to be a heretic first to be, to be a viable candidate for ordination to the Catholic priesthood. Okay? So, a married priesthood is vibrant, very, very vibrant in the East. Okay? It's not uncommon to see men who are serving the church and serving their family. In fact, when they serve their family, they're serving the church because their family are members of the body of Christ. Okay? Now, Bill had asked about Catholic versus Orthodox. Okay? First of all, know that the term Catholic means universal, and the term Orthodox means true belief or true teaching. Yeah. Okay, these are terms which are apostolic terms which describe the church, which became, say, um, banners, badges of honor. Okay, for different groups, as the church unfortunately uh, divided, and those brothers got into arguments and stopped talking to each other anymore. Okay, you know that up to the seventh century, <clears throat> the entire known world at the time was unified. The, the Byzantine Empire, which covered virtually the entire Mediterranean world. No matter city to city you went to, you would find churches in communion with each other. And yes, from city to city, those churches would express the faith differently. And yet, they shared a common communion with each other. But you also know that by the middle of the 7th century, what curse came into the world? Islam. And Islam spread out of the Arabian Peninsula from Mecca and Medina and swept like, a, like, a, like a, a desert fire across North Africa and up even into the Holy Land and into Syria. Okay? And, and primarily because of the, of the work of Muhammad and his followers who took up the sword to cut anyone down who would not convert... They divided the world very much, and that division affected the church. Whereas there had been a united, united church, one church made up of many families, those, those families fell out of communication with each other. And ultimately, this is the fundamental problem. When people stopped talking, whether they decided to or whether they had to, because of, of historical realities... When you stop talking to each other, what happens when you come back together? Is it easy to talk? No. no. If you don't talk to somebody for years, it's very difficult to talk with them because you don't share a common life anymore. And that's exactly what happened. When the, our brothers are, that came before us came back together, they looked very much different. Uh, their vestments looked different. Their expression of the faith looked different. They didn't recognize each other anymore. Their Thanksgiving dinner table didn't look good, if you will. And unfortunately, they walked away from each other. Remember, they cannot do anything about the fact that you are brother and sister, but the fact that you talk with each other can be affected. And that's exactly what happened. Okay. Dividing the world then, you can see in this map, this green area is the area that was conquered by the, by the Arabs, by the Muslims. Okay. Rome was left isolated. The only apostolic sea... Okay, left in the West and out of communion with the other apostolic sees, 
who remained, for the most part, in communion with each other. Okay? Greek, Greek Christianity, or Eastern Orthodoxy, you can see in the yellow, the gold, and here where Islam and Eastern Christianity meet, there is a mixture, down here in Jerusalem, a mixture, and virtually all of Africa went to Islam Parts of Spain, you see there, infested in the year 711. The Muslims came across the Straits of Gibraltar and basically took the entire Iberian Peninsula in less than a year or two. Okay? Again, this has a massive impact on the nature of the church. If you are the head of your particular church and you are left alone and you begin to describe yourself apart from the other apostolic sees, then your vision of who you are is going to be different. It's going to look very much more like a monarchy, isn't it? There's only one father left. Over here, where those fathers were very much still alive, and still reigning over a vibrant church, and staying in communion with each other, their perspective of the church might look very different. Not so much a monarchy as a family. Okay? And this is exactly what happened. Pope Francis, again, isolated from the rest. Now this is, I know this is probably a little bit difficult to understand from a Western perspective. But from an Eastern perspective, imagine being in communion with the other apostolic sees and then looking the opposite direction at the one guy who's not with you. Okay, we oftentimes look at it as the one guy who's left, right? All right, there's two ways of looking at the reality. Okay, the Eastern churches very much retained a sense of collegiality. The decision making was not left in one person, but it was left to the communion of the churches as they came together in ecumenical council. Okay, but even among those churches, there began to be, and I know I'm running wholesale across. <laughs> lots of details that we should be covering. But even among those Eastern churches, there began to form a division. Among those who considered very seriously the issue of the unity of the church. That Christ's final prayer with His apostles to the Lord, to, the, to His Father, was that they might all be one. And so over time... Among the churches in the East, there began to form a division virtually in each one of the churches. Some of those who said, it is not good for us to be separated. And therefore, they reformed the Catholic communion among the churches. Reestablishing communion with Rome and the other apostolic sees in communion with Rome. Okay, And so parts of those churches then reestablished that communion. And so there are now, and I know this gets confusing, but there are now, within these particular churches, both Eastern Orthodox churches and Eastern Catholic churches. Remember, and this is extremely important, that though some people in some of these apostolic sees rejoined the Catholic communion, they did not leave who they were. They still made pizza the way they, their family made pizza, if you will. Huh? Alright, they still expressed the faith according to their way of life. Their theology, their spirituality, their way of life remains 100% orthodox. And yet they share communion with the other Catholic churches 
In fact, one of the saddest realities is the reality in our own, in my own particular church, in the, in the patriarchate of Antioch, where there is a division and there are actually two heads of the church in Antioch. The, the head of my church, Patriarch Gregory or Pope Gregory, and Patriarch or Pope John. Both of them are patriarchs of the Apostolic See of Antioch, John of the Orthodox, and Gregory of the Catholics. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Does, does the Orthodox uh, enjoy apostolic uh, succession? Do they enjoy apostolic succession? Absolutely. And we're going to talk about that. I'm sorry, we had a couple of slides. Absolutely. You need to know that when you meet a, a Greek Orthodox or Russian Orthodox person... Number one, they are your brother and sister in Christ, and there's nothing you can do about that, even if you don't want to talk to them or they don't want to talk to you. Number two, they have full apostolic succession. They have the priesthood. They have the Eucharist. They have holy confession. They have a whole, the entire life of the church existing within their apostolic church. Okay? So you say to me, or I say to myself, how is it possible for Jesus to live outside of Jesus? Either they're part of the church or they're not. If the church recognizes, and it, and it is a reality, that they have the fullness of the faith and the fullness of the life of the church, if the Eucharist is existing, if Christ is in their church, Christ can never be divided against Christ. Therefore, the division of the churches is a very superficial division and a human-made division. It is not a division found in God Himself or in the nature of the church. Okay? The apostolic churches, when we talk about our relationship with them, we're not talking about a relationship like we talk about the Protestant communities who have no Eucharist, no priesthood, no episcopate. Okay? Do you understand how sad the division with the Orthodox is? We're not talking about heretics. We're talking about our brothers and sisters. Okay? Who we don't know anymore. Should bring tears to our eyes. That's why Pope Francis and Pope Bartholomew are journeying across the world to meet each other. Okay? They have a very vibrant way of life. I was sure you're the prayer life. Okay? This is the Church of Jerusalem at, 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 uh, at, at Pascha or Easter. The expression of the faith is different, my friends. But the fundamentals are the same. And here they are in the church, singing, yelling out, Christ is risen, Christ is risen, riding on each other's shoulders in the church. You would walk in that church and say, what is going on here? Well, it's a different expression, a different way of life. But expressing the same reality that we believe fundamentally that Jesus Christ, our God, rose from the dead and gave us His Holy Eucharist. His flesh and His blood to eat and to drink that we might live forever. Okay? I think that is basically the end of my presentation. But if you've got about three minutes, I have a little short video that you can see a little bit of the liturgy, how it is celebrated in the East. Would that be interesting to you? Bill, could we plug that in? There we go. That's the bishop and two deacons.
This is the procession with the gospel book. You know it. Watch, look. Gospel book. You can see those guys, you hear that little ching-ching going on. Those are the sensors. Our sensors on our, in our tradition are much smaller and have 12 bells on them. And so the deacons are swinging them as they're entering in. You know a gospel procession with a gospel. You've seen it before. This is a little bit different. Okay? So again, making pizza a little bit differently, right? We're, what language are they were singing in Greek? Okay? This was on, a, on the holy mountain, Mount Athos. Okay? Alright, so that's, that gives you a little bit of a sense, and I, I just, very quickly, I don't want to forget, to, please, if you, if, you, if you love your brother, get to know your brother, okay? We're right down the road, Holy Transfiguration. Are we Catholic? 100%. Can you receive communion with us? Absolutely. Can you come and celebrate the liturgy with us? Yes. Can you go to confession there? Absolutely, yes. Every Saturday night at Vespers, we have, uh, we have Vespers every Saturday night at 6 o'clock. In fact, Frank, would you mind on the passenger seat of the van is a little box of business cards that have our, our, our stuff on them? I think it's there anyways. Um, anyways, and you can come and you can celebrate with us and experience that. I just encourage you. Um, and you might have questions, so go ahead. Yes, ma'am. They have a council of appointed men, and they elect their... Yeah, you, yes, you know, the, the, the election of the Pope is one of the, the more ancient practices of the church, and it, it, today we kind of miss it. We always think, well, there's the Pope, and then there's the Cardinals, and then there's the Bishops. No, the ancient way of election of a Bishop was from the bottom up. His own priests... Would, uh, would elect his, their bishop, right? Who's, who's worthy among us? And they would lift him up. And it was the same even for ordination to the priesthood or the diaconate. It's the faithful who rise up and say, this man is worthy. He's worthy of ordination. And they present him to the bishop. Okay? In Rome, if you go... Have any of you been to Rome? Yes. And you remember the, the bronze plaque that you saw at the front of every church? Did anyone point it out to you? That at the front of every church is a little plaque that says, Cardinal so-and-so. Every cardinal has a particular church, a parish church in Rome. Okay? Because the cardinals are simply the pastors of the diocese of Rome. Now today, it doesn't really come across, right? Because they're bringing guys from all over the place. But every one of those cardinals still has his parish church holding to that old tradition that it was the men, the, the priests of the diocese who elected their bishop. Okay, so the, and 
Answer, yes. So we have our own synod who elects our patriarch. Okay? No, they are, look, you have to realize that these particular churches are all apostolic. In other words, their life is not dependent upon each other. They have the fullness of the life of Christ within their church. Okay? Regardless of whether they're Catholic or Orthodox. Okay, now, now is there, don't get me wrong. Is there a problem? Is there a problem that the churches are divided? Absolutely. But realize it is a problem not only for the Orthodox who are divided from Rome, it's a problem for Roman Catholics who are divided from the Orthodox. We are all part of one family, and all parts of that family are hurt when they're out of communion with each other. Yes, ma'am? How does the Russian Orthodox Church fit into this? Well, over time, as the church grew, other patriarchal sees were established. Those first five, Alexandria, Antioch, Jerusalem, Constantinople, and Rome, those original five then did evangelical work. They spread out and established other particular churches. And the church in Russia is one of those. Okay, So uh, surrounding around their, their patriarch. Okay, so when you see these other guys that are around, the, the patriarchal churches, realize what you're talking about. A church which has received its faith from the apostles and has been established as a particular church, meaning that within it is the fullness of the life of Christ, the fullness of the life of the church. Okay? Can, uh, a practical question, can you go there? Yeah. Number one, yes, you can go there. Can you, can you celebrate liturgy there? Absolutely, you can celebrate liturgy there. Can you receive Holy Communion there? Let me... Finish my sentence before you cut me off. Okay? Yes, you can receive Holy Communion there as a Catholic. Okay? The Catholic... Hold on. I said let me finish my sentence. As a Catholic, the Catholic Church allows you to receive Communion among the Orthodox. The problem is that the Orthodox will not give you Communion. This is why... This is why in the back of your missalette... At least it was this way when I was a kid. I'm sure it's still printed in there. But it is the teaching of the Church that an Orthodox believer can come to a Catholic church and receive communion. The Catholic church has absolutely no problem with that. It's because of what we see in the other church. They are an apostolic church. So why the meeting between Pope Francis and Pope Bartholomew is so important? Because 50 years ago, in 1964, Pope Paul VI met the patriarch or Pope of the Greek church. Okay, His name was Athenagoras. You're going to see him all over the news. Pope, Pope Paul VI and Pope Athanagoras met, and they lifted the excommunications which had taken place way back when. Now, I said I was writing wholesale roughshod over history while I was giving you this talk because I skipped a ton of stuff. Over time, as that division between the churches took place, sadly, the church in Rome and the church in Constantinople excommunicated each other. Okay? And, and for the most part, illegitimately. The cardinal, a cardinal came from Rome. He went to Constantinople. He felt very much offended that he didn't, he didn't feel like he was treated with enough respect. Okay. And so he wrote the, uh, uh, the, 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 the decree of excommunication as the papal legate, walked into the church of Hagia Sophia, the great church in Constantinople, like St. Peter's is in Rome walked into the church, walked into the sanctuary in the middle of the divine liturgy, in the middle of the mass, took his bull of excommunication, threw it down on the altar, 
and walked out of the church. Well, the Patriarch of Constantinople had enough of that. He wrote his own declaration of excommunication and sent it to Rome. Okay, they mutually excommunicate each other. So in 1964, knowing this historical event that had taken place in, in, in the year 1054 was really illegitimate on both sides. Should not have taken place on both sides. They came together and they lifted the excommunications against each other. Now, I want to ask you, friends, when excommunication, what does it mean? Don't get fancy with me. What does it mean? You're out of communion. And what happens when you lift an excommunication? You're back into communion. Well, Rome took that very seriously. And that's why an Orthodox believer can come to a Catholic church and receive communion. No problem. No problem. Okay? And yet, in the East, there are still issues and problems, understandably. Okay? And so, this is why 50 years later, we're still working through these things. And this meeting between Pope Francis and Pope Bartholomew is so fundamentally important. Is everything going to be solved? No. But at least they're coming together and hugging each other again. At least they're calling each other brother again. It's a big deal. When, when, when Patriarch Bartholomew went to Rome for the installation of Pope Francis... Pope Francis met with them the next day, and when they came out of the meeting, he said, my brother Andrew, into the media, he said, talking about, he says, my brother Andrew, talking about the Apostle Andrew, who evangelized Constantinople, or Byzantium. My brother Andrew. It's a very endearing title, and it's a very right title, because Pope Francis realizes that if the church is going to be healed, we need to restore that family, that communion among each other, that looks at each other not as, as who has power, but who can serve each other in love, and reestablishing that family communion again. Okay? Other questions? Oh, wait, just, you asked her. Yes. Hold on just a second. She's, she's, yes, go ahead. What caused the separation? I say two... Oh, between in Antioch? Yeah. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good question and a kind of a deep question. It would take a little while. But basically, basically, as I said, in each one of these patriarchal churches, some began to realize that it wasn't okay to be alone. Just like in Rome, they realized it's not okay to be alone. It's, it's, it's not okay. We're, we've, we've, we've hurt. I remember the first homily that Pope Benedict gave when he was elected. He said, sadly, the net has been broken. We have torn the net of Jesus Christ through our sins. And he was talking about the communion of the churches. Okay? So, over time, people in the priests and bishops in these particular churches, it's not okay. We need to reestablish communion with Rome. And Rome said, we have to reestablish communion with them. Okay? And they came to a mutual agreement. And when that happened, some of those in that particular church said, no. We're not going to reestablish communion with them. Not now. Okay? And so the division took place even within the particular church. Okay? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, when you mentioned about the um, Sophia, Church of Cathedral of Sophia. Yeah, Hagia Sophia, yeah. Okay, when did it become a mosque? Yeah, you should come to the Institute because we're talking right now about. Um, about the uh, fall of Constantinople. Okay, so it was in the 15th century. In the 15th century, when Constantinople fell to the Muslims. Okay, and uh, you you have before you right here this this brochure. 
I run something called the Institute of Catholic Culture where we study the faith like this on a regular basis. We're together two, three times, sometimes four times a week. In fact, we're having talks right now this Sunday on that very question. This Sunday at... Where are we this Sunday? I'm confused because we have too many talks. We're at Our Lady of Hope. Ah, yeah, just up north, Our Lady of Hope. And this Thursday, Father Scalia is speaking at St. Thomas of Becket in Reston. Right up the road. Okay, we're going to hand out the... the, the um, in fact, guys, could you just hand out those calendars? Yeah. Could you hand those out, Frank? Okay, you're more than welcome to come so that we can begin to study the faith together again as a church, grow in our knowledge of the faith, and through knowledge, we will come to love Christ more and love our brothers more. Okay, you can't love what you don't know. So, yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is so true. When you see those Christians and those churches burning in the East, now you know who they are. Okay? These are, these are churches. These are apostolic churches. These are our brothers and sisters. Okay? And again, we're not talking about Protestants and we're not talking about heretics. We're talking about those that were established by Christ and the apostles themselves. Okay? A lot of those churches in Syria that are burning are Melkite, Greek Catholic churches that are my, my particular church. Okay? Absolutely. You saw uh, uh, Tawad- Pope Tawadros, yeah. Okay, yes, Bill. What is the relationship, uh, the, the concept of, of, the, of the Pope between the churches? What do you mean the concept of, of which Pope? Of Pope Francis? Yeah, so the question is, what is the concept among the Eastern churches of Pope Francis? And this is extremely important, Bill, because no Orthodox believer will ever deny that Pope Francis is the head of the church in Rome and the Prince of the Apostles, the eldest brother among the patriarchs. Not one of them will ever deny that fact. The question and the debate comes in as to the extent of his power. Okay, And that's where the, pro- the difficulties come in. Okay, Can he come in to my family and tell my kids what to do without me? Okay? And, um, and if you go back, let's forget today and the, and the problems we face. You go back to the apostolic church. Imagine my brothers sitting around the table. Okay? This is, I think, a good way to understand the nature of the church. Okay? We're all sitting around the table together. My children, God forbid, Luciano is disobedient. He never is. My son is perfect. But God forbid he were to be disobedient. And would it be appropriate for my brother... To my older brother to discipline him? No, that's my job. You stay out of my family. That's my job. I'm raising my own children. Except if I refuse to discipline him and he begins to lead other cousins astray. Huh? If that were to happen, then it's not only possible for my older brother to do it, but it's his job. And that's exactly what happened in the church. When a heresy developed in a particular church, it stayed in that particular church, that particular church dealt with it. Until that heresy spread to other particular churches, other members of the family, then an ecumenical council was called. They all sat down together, okay, and discussed the issue. And then, yes, the oldest brother has a job to confirm his brethren and their decision about what to do. That's what an ecumenical council is. 
Okay. And yet the, the Pope is not the first among equals to us. Okay, but okay, first among equals is a loaded term because the Orthodox use it. But let me ask you a question. Is, is, was Peter and Andrew, two brothers, St. Peter and St. Andrew, were they equals? Yes. Uh, yeah, they, they're, they're human beings, they're brothers, they're equals. I mean, we, we have this concept of the church of power and authority and who can command who. This is not the way Christ taught us. Authority and power in the church is a matter of love and service. Okay, we have this concept of, does he have the power? Are you under him or not? This is not Christ's concept of the church. Okay? Yeah, what would Christ say now if he was here, you know? Yes, yes, my brother and I, my brother is older than I am. But we are equals. But at the end of the day, when we have a problem that's bigger than my particular family, then yes, does my brother have any job in the family that's special? Yes, he does. He's my oldest brother. And there is no Orthodox believer that is going to deny that. Okay? So, again, these are looking down at the valley from different mountain peaks, right? And when we decide, when we realize that it's okay for someone else to make Thanksgiving dinner differently than us, and it can still be Thanksgiving dinner, as long as, of course, there's turkey. I mean, the fundamentals have to be there, right? Okay? Then, once we realize that, we mature enough to realize that, then the healing of the churches will take place. Okay? And it'll take place naturally, beautifully, not by command of the authorities or so forth. It's going to happen among us when we start to respect each other again and realize that what the church is and this beautiful gift that God has given us. St. Thomas, I'll leave you with this thought. St. Thomas says that the reason why God made variation within creation, many, many different flowers, many, many different plants, was because not one particular limited thing could properly express the glory of the infinite God. And therefore, God made variation that in variation, God might be glorified. And it's the same within the church. Within the church, there is a beautiful bouquet, an array, a difference within the church, which does not divide her, which does not break unity, but makes the, makes the bouquet one, if you will, right? Makes it even more beautiful. But it's only going to be more beautiful to the extent that we go and look at it and smell it. Right? We taste the dinner. But we have to start to do that again. So, I know you, you, some of you have to go, so I'll be available for questions after if you want. But you have that card in front of you. You can come. Holy Confession on Saturday evening is, Confession's always available. Okay? Uh, Vespers on Saturday evening, evening prayer. Divine Liturgy on Sunday morning. Come and join us sometime. We'd love to have you. And if you come, come look for me. And, uh, and, and make sure you come up to the front of the church where you can, where you can see everything and receive the blessings, okay? And we can receive them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Catholic. We're Catholic. Yeah. Okay? Thank you very much. All right. Okay. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist, pray for us.